What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Clips Combo Show, a podcast by the Sporting Tribune, where we break down everything you need to know about the L.A. Clippers. I'm your host, Joey Lynn, and I'm super excited to be back with you because as I predicted or hoped, I guess, in the last episode, the Clippers are coming off of a pretty solid stretch of games. I talked about the upcoming four games that they had in between that last episode and this episode, and I said, well, it should be probably a 3-1, and 4-0 stretch. That's two weeks in a row now where I've said that, and that is two weeks in a row where the Clippers have delivered with a 3-1 and stretch. They played the Houston Rockets, the Dallas Mavericks, the Detroit Pistons, and the San Antonio Spurs. Not exactly four powerhouse teams, but that said, they took care of business against the teams that they needed to take care of business against. Now, With that being said, up until this point, at least as of heading into their last game, the Clippers had played the second easiest schedule in basketball and the easiest schedule in the Western Conference. So you look at their record and you think, okay, you know, they're starting to play a little bit better, uh, but they are not exactly in a spot where we can feel entirely confident that this is a team that can compete for a championship. Now, there's, of course, a ton of context with that conversation i'm going to get into all of that throughout the course of the podcast but when you're just talking about them coming off of consecutive three and one stretches with the last two podcasts because as you guys know i break down the games that are going to happen in between the last pod and this pod and the games that will happen in between this pod and the next pod they've had some pretty good successful stretches uh in between these uh monday to monday stretches but that said uh not exactly the powerhouses of the league certainly want to try to see that a momentum hold up against some of the better teams. And well, good for us. We actually have a, a pretty good stretch of upcoming games against better teams starting tonight versus the Utah Jazz. Who would have thought that, uh, what's the date today? The 21st? Yeah, November 21st. Who would have thought that on November 21st, I would be calling the Utah Jazz one of the best teams in the NBA? Uh, okay, currently sit at first in the Western Conference. They have been a powerhouse this season for whatever reason. They haven't slowed down yet. I think we were talking about Utah a couple episodes ago about how well they were playing. And I said, you know, they'll come down to earth eventually, whether that be, you know, via just the law of averages, taking them down to earth or the the team making a trade uh, to kind of finally get on that, that path of tanking that we thought they would start the season on. Well, neither of those things have happened yet. They're just continuing to ride that wave of success and currently still sit atop the Western conference. So the Clippers have a pretty good challenge here tonight against the Utah Jazz and the last time the Clippers saw Utah Utah looked like the better team now that was without Kawhi Leonard Kawhi is back now Kawhi is expected to play tonight against the Utah Jazz Paul George is currently questionable Uh, he had I believe they called it left knee soreness at halftime of last game he was ruled out uh, for the remainder of that contest the Clippers were up big Uh, Paul George had a dominant first half, scored 21 points in just about 15 minutes, I believe it was, maybe even less than that. I think it was about 14 minutes. And uh, unfortunately missed the rest of that game. But if you saw me, uh, excuse me, if you followed me on Twitter, you saw me post a video of Paul George and Steve Ballmer in the tunnel after the game. And PG could be heard telling Steve that he was fine. He said, I'm all good, you know, a little bit sore, but I'm good. Uh, from you know some reports that have come out after the game. Unfortunately, we didn't get to talk to Paul George, uh, but some from some reports that have come out after the game, uh, it seems as if he avoided any any real major injury, and it was more so just a matter of him being a little bit banged up uh, and them not wanting to push it, especially 
uh, in a game against the Spurs where you're already up big. So that's kind of the injury report for tonight. Like I said, the Clippers are entering a stretch of games where they're going to be playing some of the the better teams in the Western Conference. Uh, it's kind of taken a while for the Clippers to finally face some of these better teams, but you know that's just kind of the way it goes, the way their schedule is lined up. It definitely is a pretty backloaded in terms of the the difficulty. They've already played quite a few back-to-back, so that factors into the strength of schedule, but uh, it definitely gets a little bit more difficult in terms of their opponents that they're going to be facing, really starting now and, and going towards the rest of the season. So it's tonight versus Utah, and then Wednesday versus Golden State. Now, Golden State has not gone off to the start that many people anticipated they would get off to. They returned a pretty, a pretty similar team to, to the squad that won the championship just last summer. Uh, but they really, in my opinion, with Golden State leaned a little bit too far into their two-timeline plan. Uh, for those of you who don't follow the Warriors very closely, I'm a Steph fan, so I keep up on what they do. Um, but for those of you who don't really know what I'm talking about, that's uh, Joe Lacob and, and the ownership trying to really embrace the last few years of Steph Curry's prime, that trio with Steph, Draymond, and Clay, but then also at the same time develop guys like Moody, Kaminga, Wiseman, and, and their young guys that they have because they do have a promising young core. Uh, but it's tough to do that. We've never really seen that successfully done in the NBA where you have two timelines at the same time, a win-now timeline with veterans, future Hall of Famers, but then also at the same time, you're trying to develop youth and have them contribute to winning basketball. It's tough. We've never really seen it. Uh, Golden State got away with it a little bit last year where you know they weren't heavily reliant on any of their young guys. But we saw you know, throughout the course of the season some appearances from Kaminga, specifically in games where you know Steph and, and some of the vets were resting. Uh, but it, when you know come playoff time, they were playing their vets. They had Otto Porter Jr. They had Gary Payton uh, the second. They had a lot of solid vets that they relied on for you know those role player uh, type positions, and they let GP two walk, let uh, Otto, Otto Porter Jr. walk, and kind of expected guys like Moody, Kaminga, Wiseman to step into those backup roles and be championship level role players. Well, it hasn't happened yet. I think that's a big reason why they have started off the season so poor. And I don't want to get too much into Golden State. I'm not here to talk about them, but that is one of the bigger games on the Clippers schedule, certainly to this point in the season. So I do want to kind of outline what it is that you can expect from them. Since they started so poor, they have essentially removed Kaminga, Moody, and some of those other guys from the rotation. Wiseman is not only out of the rotation, but he's off the team right now, down with the Santa Cruz uh, squad in the G League. So they are not the same team that started the year, and, and their level of play is starting to reflect that. Not only are they not just handing out minutes to some of their young guys, but Clay Thompson is starting to play better. Steph has been at an insane level all season long. Uh, Poole is, is slowly but surely starting to find himself again. So this will be a tougher matchup for the Clippers than Golden State's record suggests. That matchup on Wednesday, it's in Golden State. Uh, they have been really, I think, the best team in basketball at home and the worst team in basketball on the road. It's been a really interesting season for them uh, in that regard. So that'll be a tough game for the Clippers on Wednesday up in Golden State. I think it'll be a great barometer to see where they're at. And uh, fortunately, for Clippers fans, it's not a back-to-back. -back. I feel like we've been dealing with that so much to start the year. Uh, so many of, of their games to start the season have been on back-to-backs, which means we're missing one or both of Kawhi and John Wall. So it's been tough. Fortunately for the Clippers, 
uh, tonight versus Utah, not a back-to-back. Wednesday versus Golden State, not a back-to-back. So we should, Lord willing, if nothing happens in between now and then, have a fully loaded roster. Again, I, I say that cautiously because we know things can happen. Of course, we don't exactly know the status of Paul George right now. Uh, Luke Kennard, I'm going to get into him in a little bit. What I know on his injury front uh, should be relatively close, but of course not back yet, not playing tonight. So uh, really, outside of, of anything unexpected, the Clippers should have everybody. Uh, I'll, I'll hold Luke there for a second because I'm not exactly sure if he's going to be available. But for that Golden State game, they should have Kawhi, PG, the guys uh, ready to go. So I'm excited for that game. Like I said, the Clippers are going to be tested you know, in consecutive games with Utah and then Golden State. Then on Friday, they are heading back home to face the Denver Nuggets, another one of the better teams in the Western Conference. Uh, coming into this season, I thought Denver was actually going to be a contender. Um, you know, that's tough with them because they they haven't been able to surround Jokic uh, with, with the supporting cast that, you know, other teams in the league have been able to surround their stars with. Not to say that they don't have a good supporting cast. Jamal Murray is great. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of MPJ's game. I think he can really help uh, if he can stay healthy. You know, Aaron Gordon, uh, when they brought him over, I thought that was a decent fit. So I think they have some guys there that can help Jokic, but in terms of like a real second star, uh, unless we're in the bubble, Murray hasn't exactly been like that guy where it's like you got two, you know, you got your MVP, your tier one guy, and then you have your all NBA guy, you know, maybe like tier one A guy next to him. You look at the championship teams over the last several seasons, uh, really honestly outside of Golden State last year, that was just because Steph was on a whole nother level. They have had a a tier one guy like a Steph, a LeBron, a Giannis, a Kawhi, you know, a KD. And they've also had like a a tier one A or tier two, like all NBA level talent alongside him. You saw that with Milwaukee, you know, with Chris Middleton uh, in the bubble, LeBron with AD, you know, Kawhi. That situation was a little bit different, but you kind of started to see Siakam come into his own alongside Kawhi. Lowry was, of course, great down the stretch in those finals. Uh, so they they definitely had a, a solid supporting cast around him. And then, of course, you go into the, the Golden State uh, reign from, you know, 15 all the way down to to 2019-ish when they uh, finally got hurt and, and lost to to Kawhi. And, you know, that was a tough way for, for their uh, at least the peak of their dynasty to end. Of course, they ended up coming back and, and winning another one in 22. But I say all that just to say uh, I, I'm high on Denver, but I just don't think they have like the pieces to to really make that uh, push over, over the hump and win a championship. But in the Western Conference, I think they're a contender. I think they are a contender uh, for the finals. You look at uh, what they've been able to do, uh, like I said, with getting healthy. Um, MPJ and uh, Jamal Murray, of course, were out pretty much all of last season for both of them. Now they're back. Uh, I think you're, you know, I, I'm high on Bones Highland, actually one of the Clippers to take him. So I think there's a lot of stuff there with Denver in terms of their ability to uh, to contend in the Western Conference. I think in terms of their ability to win a title, I don't really see that yet. Uh, I think Jokic would have to to somehow, you know, take an even <laughs> another leap forward, even though he's the, the consecutive back-to-back MVP, so it's hard to say that. Um, but like I said, in terms of them having like that one, a one B guy, I don't think they have that. Um, so it's tough for them, but, uh, that's going to be a, another tough matchup for the Clippers on Friday. So it's really, it's three games in a row where you're seeing the Clippers face real, I mean, top tier opponents are all them contenders outside of golden state. Probably not. But, uh, in terms of the way they're playing right now, I mean, 
you could say it's the three best teams in the Western Conference. Again, Golden State's record doesn't reflect that, but they've been playing much better basketball of late. So those are the Clippers' next three games, but as you guys know, I like to break down the games that they are going to have in between this episode and the next episode. There is one more before I'm going to record again on next Monday, and that is Saturday against the Indiana Pacers. That's once again back at home, afternoon game. The way I see that one, and again, I don't like to say this um, because you know you you really can't predict this. There, there oftentimes are just you know you're able to overcome the odds and and avoid trap games. But but this Saturday, it does feel like a trap game to me. Uh, I think I think there's sometimes kind of like a misconception on what a trap game is. The way I view a trap game is not where you're banged up and you know Kawhi's out, PG's out, and you're like, oh, it's a trap game. We're gonna lose. That's that's not a trap game. At least you know me growing up playing sports. That's not what a trap game was for for me. Um, I always understood it to be a game where you know, you expect to win. You expect to win. You don't go into it with the right mentality, and you get trapped. You go up against a team that you expect to beat. You know maybe you're at home. Maybe it's an afternoon game. You don't bring the right intensity, and then boom, you get trapped. You lose a game you should have won. When you look at the schedule, you you can't ever really fully predict when the trap games are coming. But I look at three games in a row against top-tier Western Conference teams with Utah, Golden State, and Denver. Again, I still feel weird saying that about Utah, but as of right now, they're in that tier. And then you go back home to face an Indiana Pacers team who's not bad, but you know, they don't expect to necessarily contend. They're kind of unsure what they're going to do in terms of, you know, are they going to trade Buddy Heald and Miles Turner? Uh, or are they going to ride this out, maybe try to to make the playoffs? We don't know, but they're not a team that expects to contend for a title this year uh, like, you know, Golden State and Denver uh, perhaps do. So that's a game where the Clippers, especially with it being an afternoon game on a Saturday, just an awkward start time, 1 p.m. on a Saturday, they have to come with the right intensity, the right mentality for that game because it can be very easy to have a letdown against a, a I don't want to call them an irrelevant Pacers team, but you know when you're comparing that to the teams that they had played in the three games prior, not exactly a big time matchup. So the Clippers are going to have to bring the right focus for that game, and if they don't, you know they could be in trouble. So those are the games that the Clippers have uh, coming up. But before I move on to my next segment, and actually I forgot to preview this at the beginning. Trying out a little bit of a new format here because I think some of the the things that we want to do with this podcast are going to be dependent on me having a little bit more structure with my segments. So I'm going two 21-minute segments. The way I plan to do it is the first segment is going to be uh, like we have done on the previous episodes, uh, break down the games that are coming up, recap the games that have already happened, and then when we move on to segment two, that's when we're going to get into you know, the conversation topics, right? Clips combos, we break down conversation topics around the Clippers. And I have always, you know, four or five of those to get into. And that's what we'll do during the second segment. So while we still have about six-ish minutes left on this segment, I do want to give some of my takeaways from the previous games that the Clippers have played since I last hopped on here. I previewed what they have upcoming. But I do think there were some interesting trends to look at in their previous Four games. Like I said, went three and one during that stretch, got wins over Houston, Detroit, and San Antonio, and lost to the Dallas Mavericks. The reason why I believe this upcoming stretch for the Clippers is so big, where they're playing Golden State, Denver, and Utah, is because up until this point, I mean, you could really make the argument that they've beaten one good team, maybe two good teams, depending on how you feel about Sacramento. 
Uh, obviously, the time they beat the Kings, the Kings were not playing good. They're playing much better now. Uh, at the time they beat the Cavs, the Cavs were like the second best team in basketball. They haven't played so hot since. So those are the two wins where I could say, you know, the Clippers can feel pretty good about those. Like, you know, Sacramento's been good this year. Cleveland's been good this year. Cleveland was really good at the time the Clippers beat them. Sacramento, not so much. So depending on how you see the Kings, uh, you know, the Clippers have beaten one or two good teams this year. And, you know, you look at their record up until this point, uh, you know, it's not definitely blowing anybody away. Uh, you feel decent about where they've at injury context uh, considered with Kawhi missing so much time. He's only played in four games. But the reason why this upcoming stretch is so big is because you look at those last four games, you got to win against Houston. I mean, I think Houston's the worst team in the NBA. If it's not them, it's Detroit. Well, that's the team they beat next. And then San Antonio, who looks horrible right now. And then they lost to Dallas, the one good team in, in that four-game stretch they lost to, and they were down big at halftime. Looked like it was going to be a blowout. Credit the Clippers, they fought back. Uh, but you can't dig yourself a hole like that. You know, it's it's too tough to continue doing that, especially shorthanded. Uh, so I don't want to say there's a level of concern there in terms of, of the Clippers' uh, collection of wins to this point. They've beaten the teams that they're supposed to beat. Uh, but they've had the second easiest schedule in basketball so far, the easiest schedule in the Western Conference, sitting at 10-7. Uh, you want to see them. I mean, they really have to to make a statement this upcoming stretch. They should have Kawhi healthy. Of course, he's still going to be on a minutes restriction, but you know he's going to be in the starting lineup. Lord willing, PG plays tonight, uh, and that paves the way for him to be good to go for this upcoming stretch. That is something I really wanted to emphasize on this episode was just the collection of wins that the Clippers have so far outside of that uh, Cleveland game. And, and I guess, you know, depending on how you feel about Sacramento, they don't really have any statement wins where you can say, okay, you know, this is where they actually showed up, beat a good team and showed that they were as good, you know, if not better than, than some of the teams that, that expect to contend. So, like I said, that Cleveland win was great. Uh, but again, I think a lot of that also depends on them having Kawhi. Like, you know, you, you take a win against a Cleveland team without Kawhi, it's great. Uh, but this is a completely different team when Kawhi is playing. They have to, you know, completely change everything, completely change their their approach to the game. Guys who, you know, are, are used to playing a certain role are now down a notch or two uh, in the rotation and in terms of their responsibilities. So I'm really excited for this upcoming stretch of games. Because I think it's going to show you where the Clippers are at right now. I don't think there's been a whole lot so far this season that shows us where the Clippers are at in terms of where they match up against some of the better teams in the league. Because quite simply, they haven't played uh, many of the better teams in the league. And, and those that they have, you know, Dallas and uh, you know Utah the first time around, they, they weren't able to come out on top. So I think this will be a great test for them to see where they're at as a team, uh, how Kawhi is feeling, because I talked about it uh, in a little video breakdown I did on Twitter. Uh, as of right now, you know, you look at what Kawhi is doing. He's not exactly lighting it up. And, and Kawhi is what I'm going to lead with in my in my next segment. So I guess this will be a, a decent transition in between uh, this portion of the pod and, and segment number two. Um, but with Kawhi coming back, he isn't lighting up the box score. You're not seeing him put up, you know, 20, 30 points like we're used to, to seeing him do. Uh, and of course, it's going to be tough to do that with a minutes restriction. But when you look at how good the Clippers have been, with Kawhi on the floor, they're outscoring their opponents. I believe it's by 18 points, a little bit over 18 points per 100 possessions with Kawhi on the floor. Uh, you feel pretty good about how they've looked as a team. And I talked about it in that little video breakdown I did of the Spurs game on Twitter. They are sending 
so many guys at Kawhi Leonard, even with this only being his fourth game since the 2021 playoffs. I mean, the dude's been hurt. He's been out, had ACL surgery, and yet he still comes back and demands a very large amount of attention. And you're seeing really that pay off in terms of just the Clippers' overall success with him on the court. He has, like I said, not lit up the box score, but you don't really need him to right now. That will come. There is a time coming where the Clippers are going to need Kawhi Leonard to be Kawhi Leonard. Uh, but so far throughout his first four games, I think I've liked the way that he has you know, picked his spots, uh, chosen when to assert himself and, and when to defer to his teammates, and, and really just his gravity and the attention that he demands on the court has opened things up for everybody. But like I said, I wanted to, to lead with Kawhi in segment number two, so I feel like this was an appropriate transition to kind of talk about, you know, what he's done so far, but I also want to talk about what he's going to do going forward and what the Clippers need him to do going forward. So that's going to wrap up segment number one. And now we are transitioning into segment number two, which is perhaps my favorite part of what we do on here. And really what caused me to, to start the Clips Combos brand was I saw so many, so many conversation topics around the Clippers, so many uh, narratives around the Clippers and, and things that people were saying in, in the mainstream media space and, you know, in the national media space where, you know, the Clippers are getting talked about by people who primarily don't watch the Clippers and people who definitely aren't around the team regularly. If they do watch the team, it's from afar. So that was kind of frustrating for me years ago, seeing that and now having this platform, it's been super cool to break down those conversation topics from my perspective. And I think it's a, it's a unique one in that way. And like I said, I wanted to start with Kawhi because I think that the Clippers, it's, this isn't a hot take, but the Clippers will go as far as he's able to take them. Uh, we saw Paul George. I mean, he he donned a cape in the 2021 playoffs and, and took them within two games of the NBA Finals. And I think Clippers fans rightfully feel that if Kawhi Leonard was healthy, they were at least Finals bound in 2021, uh, you know, if not championship bound. So when it comes to Kawhi, I understand why the Clippers are taking the approach that they're taking with him. They want to be cautious. They want to make sure that he is healthy and a hundred percent and able to be Kawhi Leonard when it matters most. You're not seeing that yet, but again, I don't think you have to see that yet. I think what he is doing right now for the Clippers is about what you would hope in his first handful of games back. He's dictating the pace. Uh, his playmaking hasn't left him one bit. I've been very, uh, really, really pleased and encouraged with what I've seen from Kawhi on the defensive end. I think that uh, that's really something that I was, I think a lot of people were a little bit concerned about with him coming back. You know, is he still going to have that lateral quickness uh, to defend the way that he has since coming to the Clippers? And some people think he's he's fallen off defensively. And okay, maybe he's not the guy that he was in his early Spurs days, but man, like that guy is, he is still a menace on the defensive end. So I think I've been very encouraged with what I've seen from him on the defensive end. I mean, his, his shots under, understandably a little bit rusty. Um, you know, his touch around the basket, a little bit rusty, but his decision-making looks great. His passing looks great. His defense looks great. And that has resulted in the Clippers being great in his minutes. And that's been Kawhi's message. We've asked him, you know, several times now after the game, you know, what's your approach with you? Initially, it was coming off the bench. Tyloo didn't like that, so <laughs> we asked Kawhi the other day. We're like, you know, was, do you have any preference coming off the bench, starting with you working your way back? And he said, Nah, that was a dead after the first two games. Tyloo didn't like it, so uh, that's that's no longer. But uh, 
in terms of what Kawhi can provide in a minutes restriction, he keeps telling us, I'm just trying to be great in my minutes. I'm just trying to be great in my minutes. Uh, I want to, you know, create for my teammates when I'm out there. I want to go make plays for my teammates, whether that's him scoring and looking for his own or whether that's him setting up players, you know, when he draws two. Uh, that's what he wants to do right now. He wants to set up his guys and he wants to dictate the game. And I think you're seeing that right now. It's not reflected by his box score, but it is reflected in the data. And when you look at how good the Clippers are with him on the floor. I don't like I, I've said this several times already on the podcast. I don't like getting too deep into team ratings at this point in the year. I still think it's too early for there to be any real major trends to look at, especially with Kawhi having only played four games. But just know the data is good right now with Kawhi Leonard on the floor. The Clippers have been very good. So he is back and, you know, he's he's on a minutes restriction, but we keep asking him after every game. How do you feel? He says he feels good. Uh, so the Clippers are going to approach this the way that they should. They're going to try to prioritize his long-term health. And they're going to try to make sure that he's at the peak of his powers come playoff time or, you know, come all-star break. I think that was that was uh, kind of an interesting timeline that that we kind of were able to uncover the other day. We were talking to Paul George and we asked him, you know, with the Clippers not being where they want to be right now, when should they be? you know, where they want to be is, is it Christmas? Is it new year's? You know, is it the playoffs? Like, like when do the Clippers need to be hitting their stride? And Paul George said, well, you know, of course you want to hit it as soon as possible. Like you want to be playing your best basketball, you know, as soon as possible. He said, but you know, the all-star break is when you know who you are. Like if the all-star break is usually when you know who you are as a team, you know, who you're going to be as a team. And, and if you're still searching for it, you know, at February at the all-star break, you know, chances are it's not coming. It's not happening for you that year if, if you're still, you know, trying to find yourself at the All-Star break. That was what Paul George told us the other day. Um, you know, Kawhi, we didn't really ask him that same question, but in terms of the way the Clippers are kind of ramping him up, you would like to see him back, you know, playing without a minutes restriction, closing games, you know, maybe having a, a few 20-point performances, maybe a 30-point performance uh, to say, okay, he's back. Uh, he's where he needs to be. You know, he feels good playing an increased role and increased minutes. I would say that's where you kind of want to look at uh, Kawhi starting to find his rhythm. And, and, of course, you would love to see that happen sooner. But in terms of, like, when it needs to happen by, you probably want to see Kawhi playing, like, Kawhi Leonard basketball uh, by the All-Star break, no later than that. Um, and, of course, Lord willing, that's with no setbacks. Of course, ch things change if he has a setback again. Um, but, but Lord willing, that doesn't happen. And he's able to just continue to progress. I think he's looked better every single game he's been out there. Uh, I think he's looked better every single game, uh, since he's been out there, especially since he's been back, you know, he was a little bit rusty against Detroit, understandably. So, but the dude was a plus 26 in a game. The Clippers won by five points or something like that. So it's like, man, you know, you look at Kawhi, uh, and like I said, I keep, I keep reiterating his box score. doesn't jump out at you, but the dude is having an impact out there. No doubt. So that's the Kawhi situation. Before we move on to anything else, since we're we're kind of on the injury front still, I wanted to get into what I know about Luke Kennard uh, because he currently is out with a calf strain. If you guys remember back uh, to the play-in tournament last season uh, where the Clippers unfortunately lost to uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. <laughs> I still laugh at those memes, man, with Pat Bev up on the scores table. And then <laughs> I still see like those screenshots and like, Cat uh, hugging Jordan Woods at like midcourt. Um, that, that's a whole other thing. But the, I, anytime I think of that play in uh, tournament, I, I laugh at those memes. 
By the way, I'm not against it. I, I, th- I thought it was awesome that Minnesota was able to celebrate like that. But the memes are hilarious. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Luke Kennard was not able to play in that Minnesota game, nor was he able to play in the Pelicans game that the Clippers also lost. And that was, of course, when Paul George got COVID. That was bad vibes all over the place. All of a sudden, the Clippers season comes to an end. Uh, we didn't get to see Luke again till till training camp. Um, so he that was a calf strain as well during that play-in tournament. So now he's dealing with that again. Uh, from what I've heard, it's not major. He's supposed to be reevaluated soon. I'm actually going to ask Ty Lue today. If I'm not able to see Luke today, I'm going to ask Ty Lue today if he got reevaluated. I saw Luke, uh, was it two days ago? Yeah, two days ago I saw Luke before the Spurs game. I was able to talk to him for a little bit. Asked him how he was feeling. He said he felt good. Um, you know, he said he had worked out that morning, which was good to hear. Uh, I didn't ask him when he thinks he's going to be back because, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, they don't even know. And even if they do know, they don't like to disclose that. Uh, so I didn't really get into timetables or anything like that with Luke when I saw him a couple days ago. But, you know, he was able to tell me that he's feeling good, feeling better. You know, got to work out in this morning uh, that morning, which was good. Um, and you know, he, he was moving around, didn't seem like he was limping or anything. So hopefully it was just one of those things where, you know, again, the Clippers are just being cautious. Uh, and hopefully they can get Luke back on this upcoming stretch because, you know, as we've already talked about quite a bit, uh, they got some some big games coming up, and Luke's a huge part of what they do. Ty Lue has talked about, you know, some of the frustration of not being able to figure out rotations. It's like, you know, they get Kawhi back, and then they lose Luke Kennard. Uh, you know, obviously it's not exactly a one-for-one one there in terms of, you know, impact, but Luke has been huge for the Clippers. I think he has an argument for their third-best player so far this year. I mean, he has been so good. Uh, for the Clippers and, and what they want to do. So he's undoubtedly going to be in the rotation. And once he comes back, the Clippers are going to have to figure some more things out. Uh, the rotation has been pretty fluid so far to start the year. Guys like Robert Covington, who started this season as the backup center, uh, you know, he's no longer in the rotation. I posted that video on Twitter yesterday. You can go check that out. Uh, but essentially, Ty Lu said for Rocco, you know, I, I told him, thank you for sacrificing. We're just trying to figure out some things right now. Uh, we, you know, want to get you minutes. We want to get you run. We want to get, get you back in the mix. But as of right now, you know, Rocco's is not uh, in the rotation uh, and he'll make his way back. Ty Lue said that, but uh, for now he's kind of the odd man out on the outside looking in. Um, that's a situation where I think Clippers fans are a little bit confused why that's the case. Um, but if you look at it, I think Clippers fans are confused why Moses Brown has been entering the game. This was the next point I want to get into. And Clippers fans are a little confused why Moses Brown is entering the game before Rocco. And I get that. I get that because me personally, I would rather just lean heavily into that small ball five with Rocco than, than get Moses out there. But there are matchups where, and this is why I think the Clippers need a backup center uh, that's not Moses Brown. There are matchups where the Clippers need a true seven-footer out there when Big Zoo sits. It's just the way it goes. Does Rocco give you more at the backup five than Moses Brown? Absolutely. Absolutely he does. But does he give you more of what you need on every single night at the backup five? Well, that's a different discussion because if you're going against some of these backup bigs that aren't exactly you know space on the floor um, but have a lot of length inside, it's tough. It's tough for a guy like Rocco um, to, to handle that, and, and that's where a guy like Moses can be a little bit more effective. When it comes to Moses Brown, I think the Clippers have done a good job. I think Ty Lue has done a good job picking and choosing the spots where Moses enters the game. He's not playing big minutes. He's not even playing like the traditional backup center role. He is playing like very short spurts where Zoo needs a spell 
and the Clippers need some interior rim protection and they need like some rebounding and they really, they need somebody too tall out there. Like it's not the most in-depth analysis, but it's just the way it goes. They need somebody who's tall out there. And that's what Moses Brown provides. Unfortunately, that's about all he provides because, you know, since he's been in, uh, I don't want to call it the rotation, but since he's kind of been an option for Ty Lue, uh, he's played against the Rockets. He's played against the Pistons and he's played against the Spurs. Three very bad teams three very young teams, three very inexperienced teams. And I think you saw it. And if he gets in, I wouldn't anticipate him getting in uh, these, these next three games. But if he does, I want you guys to watch for something. Uh, you know, the opposing team, it was very similar to when Boogie would check in uh, last, last two years ago when the Clippers had Boogie Cousins. The game becomes about Boogie Cousins. I think it's been said well that it's a little bit different with Moses. He doesn't have the offensive ability that Boogie did. But when Boogie checked into the game, the game became about him. The opposing offense would put him in every single pick and roll and would target him, make him move his feet, and make him play defense. And a lot of times that went poorly for the Clippers. Well, in the three games that Moses Brown has played, you have seen that. You have seen teams put him in pick and roll, and you know the Clippers have survived it. It, it hasn't been pretty. Um, you know, he, the dude doesn't move well laterally and he's done all right with his verticality. Um, he's done well finishing like when, you know, he's got offensive rebound opportunities or, you know, dump offs, things like that. And he's done pretty well with that, but you have seen teams target him defensively. They haven't done it successfully, at least for, you know, consecutive possessions, but I think that's much more a product of just the teams that the Clippers have used him against are very bad and just don't have the personnel or really the savvy to continue exploiting that. So I think there's like a two-part, really like a two-part discussion with the Moses Brown thing. The people who think he shouldn't play at all, and it should be all Rocco because they're seeing that. They're like, this isn't sustainable. And the people thinking that he should play more, and he should be like the backup center. And, you know, whenever Zeus sits, never go small, give the minutes to Moses because they've been like somewhat successful uh, doing that against the, the the Rockets, the Pistons, and the Spurs. I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. For me currently, I land right where the Clippers are right now. They're not using him as their backup center every night. Um, they're not just continuing to DMP the dude every night either. They are using him in matchups that make sense. But there's a reason why Moses Brown has not gotten in any of these games against you know, some of the better opponents because he just he doesn't have the ability to guard in space and teams are going to make him try to do that. And then it just it becomes tough, especially with the Clippers not having uh, really the real defensive personnel, especially with their guards, um, to try to fight over screens and and not surrender the switch. It becomes tough. So that's why you haven't seen Moses Brown play very often. Um, and I think that is why you've seen him play in the games that he has played in. It, it's been very selective from Ty Lue. I think he's done a good job. Um, but that said, I do think you you would like to have a player that's more usable than Moses Brown. Like you want a backup center that you don't have to just play against the Spurs and the Pistons and the Rockets and teams that, you know, can exploit uh, some of the, you know, inabilities that he has on the defensive end. So that gets into to my, the way I view the backup center situation. It's going to lead me into something I want to talk about. Um, it, it's the Musa Diabate situation for the Clippers right now because he is killing it in the G League. Actually, had a chance to see him up close, and I've talked about Musa already a lot on the pod. So you know, forgive me if this sounds repetitive, but 
I saw him up close the other day. I went to the G League game. I was at Crypto. Usually they're out in Ontario, but this one was in LA. So I went and Musa had a double-double. He had like 22 and 10. He was the best player on the floor by a large margin. Um, and you just see his skill set. And it looks to me like exactly what the Clippers could use. They don't need a lot from their backup center right now. I mean, as you're seeing, they're asking Moses Brown to play like a few minutes every other game, if that. Um, they need somebody out there who has length. They need somebody out there who can offer some rebounding, some rim protection. And I think what Musa brings that Moses doesn't, and I've talked about this a lot, is his switchability and his athleticism. You see with Moses Brown, like I said, teams are targeting him, targeting him for a reason. They want to make him guard in space because they know that he can't do it. Musa Diabate is a completely different player when it comes to that. And I think that's why the Clippers picked him because they liked his versatility on the defensive end. The dude can move his feet, man. It is insane to watch him at his size, just the agility and the athleticism that he has moving back and forth, switching on to smaller players. And not that the Clippers have to intentionally surrender the switch, but if something happens and Musa ends up on somebody out there in the perimeter, it's much less of a death sentence than if a guy like Moses gets switched on to a smaller player. So I think Musa gives the Clippers exactly what they need in the backup center role. I would love to see him get a chance, but unfortunately, I just don't think it's going to happen. The Clippers, you know, the way they see their backup center role right now, I believe they, the way they see it is that it's too small for Musa to take that spot and still develop when we could have him playing 30 minutes a night in the G League, continuing to develop. And I get it, but you know I, I do think there's a spot for him right now on the big club. Uh, I think the Clippers could really benefit from what he brings. I think his skill set is like exactly what they need in that backup center role, and you know it kind of leads me into some of the conversations that we've been seeing on Clippers Twitter. Uh, you know, not just Clippers Twitter, but some national reports as well about them potentially being interested in Miles Turner. I went on record already saying it on Twitter. I'll go on record again saying it right now. Me personally, I'm against the Miles Turner trade. I don't like it. It's nothing against Miles Turner, the player, but I just don't think it makes sense for the Clippers. They already have Zoo playing 30 minutes a night. And I think that's great. I think Zoo needs to be playing 30 minutes a night, if not even more. He's been so valuable for the Clippers that they need to have him playing a lot. If you go and trade for a guy like Miles Turner, who has, you know, been a high-level center in this league, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of his game. But, I mean, the dude is who he is for a reason. You know, he makes the money that he makes for a reason. He's been a solid center in this league for a long time. You trade for a guy like that, you, you owe him minutes. It's just the way it goes. Listen, I know we can say, you know, Ty Lue, you know, he he's great at managing minutes and, you know, he doesn't owe anybody anything and he'll bench whoever, and that's true come playoff time. But if you make a trade for a guy like Miles Turner, if you believe he's going to all of a sudden play, you know, 12 minutes a night or something like that. It's not going to happen. He's going to be, you know, you got to find minutes for him. And I think it's just an awkward fit. I don't think the Clippers need that. Um, I think they need something much smaller from their backup center role. I am against giving up the assets that it would require to bring in a player like Miles Turner. It's not going to be a, you know, a huge package you got to send out, but I mean, man, you're going to need to match the salary somehow. So that means a guy like Luke Norm Marcus, you know, one of the guys that is making, more than like minimum money and of course not max money uh, is going to have to go. And I, I'm against that. I don't think it makes any sense for the Clippers. I think that, you know, from what they need with their backup center role, they'd be much uh, better off just at least giving uh, Musa a shot 
or or making a smaller, more on the margins trade where you part ways with somebody who, you know, isn't in the rotation. Um, and then, you know, at a filler with a pick or something like that and, and bring in, you know, not, not, not that I want this guy in particular, but more so a guy like Pirtle where it's like, okay, you know, he is the backup big, you feel comfortable with that. Um, you know, he's on an expiring. So it's just, I think that's kind of the route that the Clippers need to go. If they feel as if they need to address their backup center, uh, situation via trade, um, me personally, you guys know where I stand. I think they should give Musa a shot. But, you know, if they do need to address it via trade, um, not a big fan of them going all in on Miles Turner, parting ways of valuable assets to go and get a guy who, you know, in all honesty, um, I don't think fits what the Clippers do. I, I just don't think he fits what the Clippers do. When I saw the initial report, what I thought was that Indiana was using the Clippers as leverage against the Lakers. That was my thinking. You know, the Clippers are usually pretty good about not leaking. Uh, you know, it's happened before, but, you know, they they usually are pretty good about not leaking when it comes to trades and things like that. So when I saw the Clippers are interested in Miles Turner, I was like, all right, that to me, that just says the Lakers or excuse me, the Pacers are trying to extort more out of the Lakers by creating this, you know, false competition with 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 the Clippers. I mean, I could I be wrong? Sure. Could the Clippers have actual interest? Sure. I mean, I didn't think they were going to trade for Rondo, and then they went and did it. So, I mean, you know, I've been wrong before, but uh, that's kind of how I saw the Miles Turner situation. It seems odd for the Clippers to do that. Uh, I, I don't even think the interest is real, but again, you know, open to being wrong on that. That's just how I saw it initially. Perhaps that's, uh, you know, someone impacted by me just being against the deal because I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense. So that is going to wrap things up, you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, episode and kind of this new format. Not a whole whole lot different, but just trying to break it up into a little more organized segments. Had a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully, this this paves the way for me. You know, getting ads, transition music, things like that. This was kind of the first step in making this a little bit more professional. I know some of you guys have talked to me about that. So I hope you guys had some fun. I know I did. I always do. If you made it to this point, you are a real one. I truly appreciate all the support. As always, if you have any suggestions, DMs are open. If you ever just want to chop it up about anything, DMs are open. I appreciate I appreciate you guys more than you know. And as always. Much love and go Clippers.